Idiot. Have you seen um, these John Wick movies? <laughs> I think I've seen two out of four John Wick movies. I've seen 26 out of the deck yeah. of the 52 cards of John Wick. I've watched the first three, and I don't get why um, why it's billed the way it is. The, <laughs> the story from what I understood it was that he was... A formerly violent man whose puppy is killed, and then he kills everybody else. That's not what it's about. It's about this secret society of assassins, and it's this graphic novel crap that mm-hmm. gets deeper and deeper into, like, this ridiculous thing about coins and blood oaths and, like... Yeah. And it's... I thought that it was just going to be mindless violence, but it tried to throw, like, a plot into it. <laughs> the gun foo kind of like starts washing over you in, 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 with a numbing effect eventually. Yeah. But the thing, the thing that you start asking questions about is like, wait a second, how does this whole system work? Yeah. How do you, like, I, I, <laughs> can I turn my coins back in for Monopoly money? What if I don't want to, what if I don't want to pass go and collect my $200? Who's, yeah. who's that guy? And why is his, that, why is, why is that his job? What, what was cool I'll, was whenever he dug up his stuff and just had some gold coins and guns. And it should have been left yeah. at that. Like, I have some gold stashed away. But no, they're like blood coins. And they're all worth, like, one soul or something. And it's... <laughs> yeah. Um, There's, like, magic in it. <laughs> yeah. The, and the fact that they have... Um, the guy that plays T-Bird and and, um, and the dude with the bottles from fucking <laughs> yeah. the Warriors as the... As the I, I forget. I think this was in two. He's, like, in... He's in a cleanup crew. That's what yeah. he is. Like, he's yeah, like a he cleanup runs, crew. He runs the and he, cleanup and he, crew. He takes one of the MacGuffin coins yeah. as like payment for doing like the, um, you know, Mister Wolf cleanup of this uh, scenario yeah. efficiently with his two goons. And I'm like, I want the, I want a movie of that guy. What's that guy's story? Yeah. <laughs> um, David Patrick Kelly is the name of that. Oh, actor we're talking yeah. About. Famous for being um, yeah. Warriors. Luther from the Warriors. Yeah. And um, T-Bird and the Crow and a whole bunch of other shit that's not yeah. like, weird um, B-movie nonsense. Uh, Sully from Commando. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I re- remember, Sully, I said I would kill you last. <laughs> yeah, you did, Major. I lied. Yeah. Um, that was just a pull off the dome, friends. And, yeah. yeah, I love David Patrick Kelly and stuff. He's very good at being. I don't. It's like it's like he's he's really been stuck at on a certain. There's like a ceiling that his um, his the career of his cellophane balloon has been kind of like leaning up against forever, where he's just got a yeah. got a kind of like lieutenant like lieutenant or boss battle rank. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? I'd, I think he'd be a great star in something. I'm sure he must be in thing, starring in things that I just have never seen. I'd really like. I'll look, have to look back into David Patrick Kelly. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, it, it, I. We should get a David Patrick Ke- Kelly um, John Wick spinoff show yeah. about the the wacky cleanup crew. Yeah. I mean that 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 sells itself in the room, if you ask me. Yeah, and like a a sad, really big guy on his crew that's like. Whenever you clean me up, make sure you do it with dignity. And like, <laughs> yeah, that's way more interesting than like throwing a uh, a Beretta at somebody's face really hard. If you ask me, I don't know. I I liked it. I liked all of it. No, they're fine. And they're it was, good. Keanu Reeves is very impressive. He he knows how to do that stuff. Yeah, he's he's. <laughs> 
Keanu Reeves manages to be like a very compelling, like hollow shell of a person because he's like <laughs> some kind of fucking Zen Buddhist where his characters are yeah. everything or nothing, everything and nothing simultaneously. Yeah. It's like he's like an empty vessel in the in the Buddhist fashion where that's like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Oops All Monsters, the deadly unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me when he's not navigating a heated argument between the military and scientific branches of the subterranean zombie survival brigade is Gavin. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> okay. I got that in one, too. Yeah. And th <laughs> this weirdo with me who's constantly reading Valley of the Dolls in the bathroom is Hess. Yeah. The, the most fun thing you can do with pills is read novels about them. Yeah. That's what I always said. <laughs> uh, and we are here to, as we always are, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, literature, film, TV, as well as gaming from the console to the tabletop and beyond. On a rotating basis, each of us brings a monster into the shop, unknown to the other presenter, and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you, dear readers at home. Quick reminder, check the Instagram. It's what you would think it would be, at oopsallmonsters on Instagram, at oopsallmonsters. But, as today is a me episode, Gavin, I will ask you, do you have something that will take us on a brief tour of the strange and unlikely corners of the English language that we like to call... Villainous Vocabulary. Murder. Yep. Villainous Vocabulary. I got a word. A I, I think, I think we haven't done it. Uh, the word is pareidolia. I don't think we have done pareidolia. And I should know what Pareidolia is because it is a very good um, song by the artist J.G. Thurlwell, <laughs> otherwise known as Fetus, yeah. with an O. Or the Venture the, Brothers uh, theme guy. Yeah, or the Venture Brothers theme guy, yes. <laughs> um, I just Googled Fetus, not Pareidolia. Um, <laughs> I don't know without looking it up what Pareidolia is. What it's, is Pareidolia? Um, you know is, it fear? is it a fear or an anxiety? Here's it's a tendency to um, perceive specific meanings or an image in random ambiguous visual patterns. Like whenever people oh, saw the okay. face on Mars. Yeah, a face. Yeah, the face on Mars, or when a you know a European outlet socket looks like a little smiley face. Yeah, it is, yeah, right. It's kind of a hmm, snapping to grid of making things look like seeing seeing elephants in clouds. Yeah, and whatnot. Or there's pareidolia, which is spelled P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. Yes, that, that's a word that I could not spell now. Off the top of my head, I ever. shit. I'm I've. I've been rated in the 99th percentile of spelling, and I cannot, I would get that wrong uh, yeah. eight out of ten times without um, looking at it. That is, it's a weird one. Yep. It's a, it's a genuinely weird one. That, from the way you say it, it in no way implies that there's an EI in the middle. Yeah, I could, um, So that is pareidolia. Uh, that's a good one. I'm, now I'm going to have to f fucking drop a, a, a chunk of that song in this, um, in this motherfucking show. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
are you prepared, Gavin, for me to drag us over to the area of the show that we like to call the Imagine, if you will? Yeah. I would like okay. to try and figure out what this monster is. Get your imagining gloves on. I, they're on. Uh, no, no, no glove, no love here in the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, imagine, if you will, it's Pittsburgh Ooh. in the year 1976. Ooh. A hot new Democratic candidate, Jimmy Carter, has just defeated just has just defeated incumbent Gerald Ford <laughs> in this story. You are an aging grocery store owner in a small, decaying Rust Belt town known as Braddock, Pennsylvania, that is just a a few minutes coal barge ride south of Pittsburgh on the east side of a loop of the Monongahela River. Recently, your job at the grocery store has taken a backseat in your mind to a vicious neurotic anxiety, a fear, the fear of a terrible demonic series of events to come. These events take the form of your cousin, an ancient monster from a curse put on your family in the old country (laughs) that takes the guise of an awkward and unassuming American teenager. Okay. Just, just, just hit the button and stop me if you have a guess. Uh, no, I don't have it. I keep, okay. I keep wanting to say pumpkin head for all, like all of these. <laughs> it's not pumpkin. No, it's head. Not pumpkin, pumpkin head happens in like pumpkin head happens in like Arizona, Al- Alabama, or some shit. Is it Arizona? I think it was. A- oh yeah, I think. But they get anyway. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Troubles with your family have forced his unholy burden on you. One that you both relish and fear as the aging religious stalwart of your clan, no one else can do what must be done to house and board this abomination and perhaps, if necessary, cleanse his unholy presence from this world because your cousin is Nasvaratu. Gavin, do you have a guess as to what um, odd... Dramatic, uh, uh, vampiric 1976 film this might be. Um, I'm taking a gamble that you've actually seen this because I'm fairly certain you have, but I might be wrong. Yeah, uh, no, I can't get it. Well, Gavin, have you seen um, George A. Romero's Martin? Martin? Martin! No. M-A-R-T-I-N. No. Martin. No, I haven't okay, seen Martin. Okay, that, that, would ex- that would explain why you did not get it from my clues, because it was a very accurate series of very clear clues. Okay. All right. Well, I made a gamble that you would have seen Martin, and that is, this is the this will be, in a, this will be a case where we may have to pull some kind of interesting audible. Yeah. Thanks to, the, thanks to our special golden rule format of the show. Yeah. Um, because what we may do is, what we may do is is start this episode, and then come up with a, a special plan about it because it's a difficult film to talk about um, one sided because it's very uh, it's very odd. Yeah. So I'm. Well, let's let's get into the beginning of the film and then um, and then I'm going to. My brain is going to masticate on the idea that we may do so, uh, very, this may become a very special episode of Oops All Monsters yeah. in 
not that we will find a, a small boy in a refrigerator, um, but it, instead that we will, we may have to uh, stop and cut and create a special Frankensteinian version um, because this movie is very strange and it's very strange in a way where if you haven't seen it, explaining it just doesn't quite get you there. Yeah. But let's go, I'm going to go over the basics and I'm going to um, put a department in my brain on the um, the meta level of of what we will do and when we will come up with that decision. Okay. So let me give you the basics about Martin. Is um, Martin is uh, a lesser profile George Romero uh, directed film. Yeah. Um, stars a guy that is primarily known for being in Martin named John Amplus, who was uh, quite young at the time. This movie introduces him. He wasn't in anything before. Um, Romero was still uh, living like around Pittsburgh and just just saw this guy and said, hey, I want you to be in this movie. It was intended to be an older guy. Um, but when he saw him, he just felt like he was right for this movie. And uh, the... Um, IMDB page describes the plot of Martin as a young man who believes himself to be a vampire goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin in a small Pennsylvania town where he tries to redeem his blood craving urges. Yeah. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Another kind of terror. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. Um, the film uh, follows the the titular character of Martin, played by John Amplis, from um, an extremely violent murder that is the first segment of the film. He gets on a train from Indiana 10 hours to Pittsburgh um, to be picked up by his uh, by uh, his uncle, Kuda, who's the old Catholic man that we were embodying in the Imagine, if you will. Yeah. Um, and he... He sizes up kind of serial killer style this, um, you know, kind of uh, marginal, this is like fairly attractive brunette lady getting on the train at around the same time. And he makes note that she's getting on the train alone and where her car is, and that she's going to try to get some rest. And then he prepares um, like a syringe. And he's kind of this this um, teenage-looking character with this very drawn uh, face, and he breaks into her her room after things go dark with a syringe, and there's this brief non non-diegetic black and white 
um, kind of fantasy insertion where he looks gorgeous and she looks like, you know, ravaging with her hair beautiful and flowing and welcoming, welcoming him dreamlike into her arms. And then it cuts back to reality where the toilet is going off and she comes out in a robe with a, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, a face mask all over her face. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like cowering in this little like cubby hole when she goes into bed and sees him with the, with the, um, the syringe clasped in his, in his mouth. Yeah. And she starts kind of like freaking out in the awkward, realistic way. And he jumps her and uh, with a syringe and they, they wrestle and she shouts for what is a painfully awkward and realistic amount of time. Cause it, it, this kid's not big. He's not strong. Yeah. He's not, he's not graceful. He's, he's kind of fast, but it's it's awkward because it it feels so much like real life, which I find to be a, an aspect of the better Romero movies. Yeah, um, is that the awkwardness comes out of things that feel like they could actually happen. Yeah, um, and that awkwardness is something that we're gonna. That is a flavor that we are going to stew in for the entire film. Um, eventually, after much screaming and 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 wrestling and her kind of like powering down over the course of like five minutes and him telling her just to be quiet. It ruins it when you scream kind of stuff that has these terribly mundane um, kind of sexually assault assaultish vibes. She finally, uh, she finally knocks out and at which time he goes through what is obviously a, um, uh, a ritual that he's done many times where he pulls out uh, some old style uh, razor blades. Imagine a steel razor blade. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. On the sink and slices open a vein in her neck and just drinks uh, fanglessly um, out of her neck in a in a in the awkward um, awkward way. A, a naked character who looks like a 17 year old boy might do and then you you have you kind of have a a poster there already and then boom he lands in uh he lands in pittsburgh to be picked up by his um 84 year old uncle um this this uh odd character who kind of dresses like a greek orthodox colonel sanders um (laughs) and and immediately calls him um Hissingly, Nosferatu through his white beard, uh, <laughs> and 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 has, wants to have nothing to do with him, and they kind of uh, do this. They do this very. They do this walk through Braddock, which is kind of in the um, southeastern um, exurb area outside yeah. of Pittsburgh. But yeah. that during during the industrial um, heart. Uh, the industrial era where things were really churning and um, and Pittsburgh was the killer steel town killer steel town would have been booming but has turned into kind of a a, a decaying rust belt nightmare of yeah. like kind of like devo inspiring um, entropy and decay and, and it's just hideous in every single frame yeah Braddock they is wa- really they, good for that <laughs> yeah and it's been like that since the at least the 70s yeah <laughs> which, which you know, people associate with, um, you know, the beginning of the Rust Belt era, yeah. where Pittsburgh itself, Pittsburgh itself was still, you know, at kind of peak production, 
still, you know, the, the, the country still had a massive thirst for big industrial steel that was made within the confines of the United States. So Pittsburgh is still thriving, but the decay is setting in, and places like Braddock are feeling it really bad. And in, in every other scene, if not most of the scenes in this movie, we are um, given these truly just... I want to say it's like the depression and ennui of these massive rotting bridges and overhangs and, uh, you know, trail train railways that are just littered with trash yeah. and these these like ratty ass characters that are just, you know, in these. These scenes that uh, that seem like the third world, except that they're totally normal in 1970s America, that if you're in any place other than yeah. Los Angeles or New York City, right, where like the that you've got um, perfectly nice building, lovely townhouse, and then just what seems like a bomb fucking went off, right? Yeah. Um, but most Hollywood movies don't show that, you know, you, you get you very few... You know, like the French Connection or something will show you kind of the re the reality of the underbelly of um, you know, the decaying parts of the United States in the 1970s. But yeah. the way that we are depicting ourselves to the rest of the world really really puts a, a good a good foot forward. Well, not not fucking Martin, man. Martin is really um, and it works for the it works for the film because the film Martin and the character are about really about social isolation and the the kind of clichés of societal decay that come to be understood of, of those meta cultural elements that are happening in the 1970s generally. Yeah. Like the things that people are worried about are like, nobody goes to church anymore. Women can divorce their husbands. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, like these, uh, yeah. uh, and the things that seem like, to, that were front page news in 1976 that just seem um, kind of a necessary part of modernity now. Yeah. Um, those cliches uh, are front and center in the town of Braddock where everybody is, is anxious, alienated, angry, depressed. They either want to get out of town or murder their vampire nephew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are kind of the two channels you can dial into. Um, it's, it's really, um, sadness and, and anxiety personified through all of these various characters. Um, now I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the primary conceit of what, what Martin be about without spoiling it for you, because I, at some point we're going to cut and we're going to finish this episode such that you can go and watch it, I think. I have, because yeah, I have been watching it, and I'm right up to where he meets this Colonel Sanders person, and you described him perfectly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here's the thing, is the film Martin is, if people are like, 
telling it to you, you know, on a walk up a staircase, they're going to go like, okay, so Martin is a vampire movie, but maybe it's not. It's yeah. kind of about whether he is or is not a vampire. It, it's about other things thematically, but the main thing is like, is he? The main thing is like, is he a vampire? I don't know. It's up <laughs> to you to decide. Okay. So that's the, that's the main, like, like one line takeaway about Martin. So when you watch the film, it's going to be, it's going to be your job to go like, well, yeah, he definitely is a vampire or <laughs> no, he's just some weird guy that kills people with syringes and drinks their blood. Yeah. And, and that question is going to be kind of the point here. So what I'm thinking is what we're going to do is we're going to cut here in a second and then maybe like tomorrow or whatever, we will, you will have watched the movie and we'll record like the second half, second two thirds or whatever. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So your assignment, normally we would not do it this way, but this particular movie is going to, it's going to be, and it's going to be funny because we're going to cut back and I'm just going to go, okay, so Gavin, is Martin a vampire? And then we're going to cut directly to (laughs) your response. So everybody, everybody, uh, you know, unbuckle your pants and get ready for Gavin's definitive answer about whether Martin is or is not a vampire. In three, two, one, roll tape. Those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot, all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. I'm very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. Martin, another kind of terror. I would like to be like everyone else. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. of Night of the Living Dead. Now, fast fast forward, Gavin, two days later. It's now Friday. Yes. Is, now that you have watched Martin, starring yeah. John Amplis, directed I, I have by George watched, R. Romero. Um, uh, George R. R. Martin's Romero. <laughs> George A. <laughs> R. Martin Romero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I watched the movie, and is he a vampire? Yes, is Martin um, from Martin a vampire? Wow, I don't know, but if if he is, then the movie is more on the comedy side. If he isn't, then it's way definitely a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, the film. What genre the film lives in is. Actually, yeah, uh, very much up for debate, depending on how you look at it, because it's a very tragic movie on a lot of levels, regardless of, <laughs> yeah. of the fact of his vampirism. Yeah. Like, it's it's just it's just a deep, deep um, Rust Belt sadness yeah. through and through of this, like, totally decaying town. 
Yeah. There, there was there was a couple of times where I thought like this movie is about Pittsburgh. It's not about a vampire. It's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, what are your impressions of the movie without me staining all of them with my um, with my opinions? Well, I didn't expect this much. Um, I guess depth. It was it was in there. It <laughs> explored a lot of weird zones and through the eyes. Of like a seemingly simple teenager, like, or even if he wasn't a teenager, even if he was like an eighty-four-year-old vampire, he was still kind of simple, and like, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, only had like basic drives, motivations. He didn't want to get shaky, is the thing. My God, yeah. can I relate to that? But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, his 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 vampiric habit, regardless of whether it is. Um, it is uh, related to be- him being a vampire or not. His habit yeah. certainly is depicted as a, an addiction um, in the middle portion of the film where he gets more and more nervous and he has to quell it so that he can be calmed. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the whole uh, radio DJ thing brought uh, like a, a weird narrative to it where... I guess you could say that was the 70s version of what's in a lot of movies today where you incorporate, like, media influence and how that is, like, a primary, like, factor in anything at all. And, like, um... <laughs> yeah. The, like, the best way to do that in the 70s was, like, a call-in radio show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, since I have a leg up here in the sense that I prepared the topic and that I'm very familiar with the film... Um, let me tell you how I think that the aspect of the Colin show seems to to tie into um, some of the main themes that Romero is is exploring in uh, this very awkward movie. Um, yeah, one of the main ones is is because there's a lot of um, binaries in this movie um, yeah. of of things that are unlikely combinations. And one of them is really every aspect about Martin is kind of opposite how it would be for Dracula, right? Yeah. Uh, Dracula's sexy. Martin is an awkward, kind of average-looking American teen. Yeah. Um, he he's a he's a sexual virgin, according to yeah. him. Um, his own uh, attestations on this radio show at the beginning. He's hey he's got no game. He's not suave. He's not debonair. Yeah. He's he's awkward. If anything, he seems to be someone who doesn't pick up on doesn't pick up on normal social cues. Yeah. He's able to pull off tricks, though, like pretending to be deaf with a couple that he's uh, scoping out for a later yeah. murder. Um, yeah. and he's also, he, he's also not wealthy and starts the movie out as a traveler instead of Dracula's. Yeah. 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 He's, he's shy. He's awkward. He has anything, anything that nothing in the vicinity of what you describe as a power over women other than to yeah. cause them to be, uh, feel sorry for him. Yeah. Um, and so he's truly kind of an anti-Dracula and in another one of those ways that he's an anti-Dracula, he's kind of. Um, in a 1970s way, technolog- technologically oriented. Yeah. He's, he's constantly interact- interacting with technology in a way that for 1976 would have been pretty high end. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the for instance, 
uh, that family that he stalks, he sees how the woman operates her garage door opener. He goes and goes to yeah. the hardware store. He gets a similar model garage door opener, tests it, and then la- sneaks himself into the garage, unscrews a light bulb, and then in in that attack, he does things like pick up the the receiver on the phone in the other room and dial the buttons to mess up so that she can't call nine one one. You know what I mean? He he, yeah. he he the one thing that he makes a big request. Uh, with the family that he, you know, with his family that he's staying with, is he wants his own phone, and it seems primarily so he can call into this um, <laughs> late night kind of Art Bell style radio show and talk to this kind of hammy dude, and, and he gets turned into this um, local kind of folk phenomenon that they jokingly refer to as the Count. And it's as hokey and condescending as you think it might be. But he is someone that is very um, comfortable with technology and looks like a teenager, which gives off a very specific set of flavors. He has... um, The actor who plays him, who also plays like... Yeah, the scientist in Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> um, he has a very 70s teenager face. He really does. Is, he really looks like yeah. he should be... Like, if if you photoshopped him down into scenes in The Bad News Bears, yeah. you would never in a million <laughs> fucking years notice. Like, he's got the right clothes, he's got the weird haircut that's kind of yeah. like, kind of kind of feminine and flared, but not really, that literally every kid had in the 70s because it was like the no haircut haircut. Yeah. And, and you could just drop him behind the other bears and it'd be like, oh yeah, that's Freddy Krueger's friend. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. worry about it. You know, yeah. he's, he's real shy. He manages yeah. the, equi- manages the equipment. And, <laughs> but let me, uh, let me talk about, let me talk about some other things. So, um, so this, this film is a depiction of, it's really a characterization of the character Martin. Um, and, I don't think that I think that specifically Romero is not interested in answering the question of whether this kid is a vampire. I think he's interested in not answering that question. Yeah. Because in yeah. in 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 exploring it but not answering it, he does one of his favorite things, which is to to infuse the movie with his favorite favorite ingredient, which is not blood and guts, but is doubt. Capital yeah. capital D O U B T doubt. Um, because at the center of uh, his original hit, Night of the Living Dead, doubt is really the shadow behind the zombies that makes them truly fascinating. Where do they come from? Why are they here? And they're, you know, on, on the television, when they talk about that, they iterate some possibilities, you know, radio waves, radiation, uh, you know, UFO business, but it's not definitively answered and not definitively answering one of these things is it's like Ronald Romero's primary pieces of business. And another one of the primary pieces of business that Romero is a real big fan of is taking a monster and over the arc of a film, turning them into a sympathetic character who seems more likable in a lot of ways than the characters that we think we would normally be rooting for around them. This is a thing that we talked about, about when we talked about um, the big daddy zombie and similarly 
Bub from Day of the Dead, the zombie yeah. who starts out as a regular crawler, like a walker zombie, but through the machinations of the weird science unit, kind of um, train him to have a lower level kind of animalistic intelligence. And then by the end of Day of the Dead, you're rooting for Bub because Bub seems to have a more fairness-oriented moral compass than the the shitbag human beings that are surrounding yeah. him. Yeah. And similarly, we open this film with Martin being an awkward, brutal, and terrible murderer of women in a, in a way yeah. that gives off real... Un- unpleasant like sexual assaulty vibes yeah. and then and then through the movie kind of really like other Romero films you do kind of start rooting for Martin or at yeah. least I did because yeah. he still seems like someone with more of a soul in a funny way to say it than these kind of like um miserable, disenchanted, disconnected, like, lower middle class jackanapes that are in his family and his orbit. Yeah, (laughs) it it was really important to open the movie with him murdering a woman, because, like, otherwise it would be so sad and weird. (laughs) (laughs) That is a hell of a sentence to say about anything at any time. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, this movie is not as sad and weird because it started with a murder. Yeah. but I, in a way, I, I I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so this film, if we talk about this film factually in terms of like production of it and whatnot, it was a micro-budget yeah. film that they made for basically nothing. So oh, yeah. essentially every location is either out, out the door somewhere random in Braddock, Pennsylvania, or somebody on the crew's house. The yeah. sound guy's house <laughs> or the costumer's house or whatever. And it, it didn't it didn't really make any money, but it didn't lose money because it didn't cost anything. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of kind of random friends of the production that star in the movie, in, in, including uh, a very young Tom Savini, who is yeah. a, a yeah. famous um, I, effects it, guy. It was, prior to being an effects guy and prior to having his, a mustache, he plays shitty boyfriend. Yeah, uh, it was his, like, fifth scene where I realized, holy shit, that's Tom Savini. <laughs> Yeah, he looks taller without the mustache. Yeah, yeah and, he does. <laughs> and and uh, um, Romero himself, who shockingly, very competently, in my opinion, plays um, the new quote unquote young priest in town of the yeah. the the Catholic um, mass that they attend. That's in this rigorously upsetting like attic of a church or some yeah. random building where you're like, man, I didn't think church could be this depressing but holy shit yeah. i this is a new this is a new level of depressing church yeah that's a that's was a thing for pittsburgh too is like um there you see churches everywhere but they can't be used they're condemned like <laughs> oh tax bases you're so silly i know this movie explored the other characters other than morton really well yeah, for and, a movie for a movie that seems like it would be singularly focused on the main character. Yeah. Th- really the the 
one, Martin isn't as slow and plotting as some 70s movies that are impossible to watch. Yeah. It, it, it is still quite slow. There are certainly yeah. scenes that slide around in the ambiance of uh, Rust Belt, Pennsylvania in a way where you're like, okay, motherfuckers, cut cut, cut away, please. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 it's doing everything it does um, for more of an obvious purpose. It's well, it's very well directed where the shots are, are about something yeah. and include, and when we're not just meandering outside, um, we begin to understand Martin's world in a social way as he continually fails to connect with people in his orbit. His immediate family are mostly assholes, except for, uh, Christina, who kind of looks like a, uh, a Greek Jennifer Gray, who is the <laughs> yeah. um, the the girlfriend to the Tom Savini character and the granddaughter of uh, Kuda, the um, hyper Catholic yeah. old world guy who keeps calling Martin Nosferatu. Yeah, that's hilarious. And Ramor and Romero's real life wife. Yes, real life <laughs> wife. Um, so she's actually genuinely friendly and tries to be sympathetic and helpful to Martin, who she seems, seems to find as just a screwed up kid. Yeah. And then through trying to, trying to find some, um, uh, gainful way to spend his days, he becomes kind of an incidental delivery boy for, uh, yeah. Kuda's grocery. And then in, in, in doing so find of falls into the orbit of this kind of like, I guess I would call this woman like a 10 out of 10 for Braddock, Pennsylvania, kind of like <laughs> um, wine-soaked, depressed yeah. housewife. Mrs. Santini. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and and she kind of uses him for an odd, almost like mute sounding board for her problems, where he just kind yeah. of like awkwardly stares at her out of the corner of his eye, well, like not speaking at all. Yeah, she directly relates him to a cat she had that would just listen to his problems. Yeah. To her problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and which which I in doing research for this, I found a very you I stumble upon a lot of very odd um YouTube channels in my uh <laughs> in my wanderings and I found this lady, I don't remember her name, but she's a she's like a a vampire themed watcher and reviewer of stuff and she see and she was very um dead set that martin was being portrayed as uh, neurodivergent and i had not made that observation before the the thing is you martin is definitely not a psychopath uh, or at least he doesn't seem to be portrayed as a psychopath because he has a lot of sympathy and empathy for people around him until yeah. up until the point where his um it is until his bloodlust boils over and can no longer be slated by yeah. anything but human blood and and but interestingly he does have an inability to read people and understand them unless they speak in very literal terms and he also yeah. hates sunlight and eye contact which yeah. I, is a this is a thought that I don't think would have occurred to me except that I happened to see this one interview or I'm sorry this one um, this one article about it on YouTube Do, I, I, does that make me old if I describe YouTube videos as articles um, <laughs> should I say I just read it in the TV guide would that sound me, make me sound less like a like a, a zillennial <laughs> um, so Martin 
exists in a very, very strange character space. And one of the reasons that he exists in a character space that is actually very compelling is that Romero has said that he got the entire idea for Martin out, out of an article that he read in a magazine about the serial killer Richard Chase. Are you familiar uh, enough with serial killers to know which guy Richard Chase was, Gavin? Oh. He's very prominent because of when and how he showed up in popular culture. Yeah, Richard, I knew Richard, once. Richard um, Chase it was referred to as the Sacramento Vampire, which is a yeah. thing. And yeah. he and the Richard Chase case, which is a, a thing to say, was the um, was the original Genesis case where the FBI turned the success of being able to track Richard Chase down based off of a psychological profile yeah. into the department that became the department that is depicted in Mindhunter, Robert Ressler. And um, you know, uh, hunting monsters and that whole thing. They yeah. they profiled information about there was some disorganized killer, which was not a term yet. Serial yeah. killer was not a term yet. There was this yeah. deranged guy running around killing various people and drinking their blood, taking their blood back and filling containers. You know, this this was a guy who was so far gone that he had like uh, open containers of yogurt that but they were filled with drying liquid blood on his counter yeah. in his kitchen. I mean this was this was somebody who was really off the deep end in terms of completely not be able being able to be understood by society or law enforcement at the time. And yeah. so essentially 1976 was about as early as you could possibly come up with something that would even be remotely a, a pop culture depiction of a serial killer because people didn't have a fucking idea that such a thing existed at all. So yeah. it, the, the amount to which that this film accurately depicts a lot of aspects of serial killing, whether or not Martin is a vampire, is really, really, really underrated because um, having a... A uh, growing need that functions like an addiction that is calmed down once you commit the act that gives you uh, bizarre sexual satisfaction, major ingredient. Sneaky, tricky ways and to get insinuated into people's lives like uh, pretending to be deaf and stalking their house or yeah. stealing a, a garage door opener that will later open yeah. the garage door. <laughs> By the way, folks, in terms of safety, your garage door is a very dangerous thing. Don't randomly leave it open. And if you have a garage, lock that second door that's between your house and your garage. That door is important. Yeah. It's there for a reason. Because getting into your garage through the big door is way easier than getting through a hard door. Um, but, but the point is that the depiction of Martin as a serial killer is both impressive and accidental <laughs> where the amount that it really lines up with thing with with facts that we learned about serial killers in the following um, 50 years is really impressive. Like, he, he really is depicted like a convincing serial killer to the eyes of somebody in 2023, which is um, big thumbs up to Romero for being, one, both smart, and two, lucky. Yeah. So he definitely is a person with a weird brain, whether that makes him a vampire or not. Yeah. That's a that's a different piece of business. He he does separate his need for blood and the murders from any sexual desire uh by by literally separating um 
the the blood stuff and the sexy stuff whenever mm-hmm. he's talking to the radio DJ. Yeah. And like how the two have never intermingled. And he thinks that um, now that he's getting like sexy stuff because the housewife, Mrs. Santini, really does like take it, take in the the handy boy, the simple handy boy and has an affair with him. Like, yeah, um, yeah, I was a I was a handyman for a while, and I got to tell you, you did, I I never got pulled into a penthouse letter in the, in, in the aggressive way that um, this like sixty apparently sixteen year old boy was. Yeah, um, but you know maybe that's on me. I almost did once. It was. <laughs> it yeah. was weird. They, was I was given a beer and told to ch- chillax on the couch. This was in like two thousand five. But uh-huh. anyway, I'm not a blood drinking uh 84-year-old teenager. <laughs> um but yeah, the movie the movie was so tense and kind of interesting is what I want to say. Like it held your interest at this calm uh mixed with tense um type of type of attention that by the sh- shootout, the inevitable shootout, uh-huh. <laughs> like when, it, well, you mean it, when they're when the when he accidentally stumbles upon a, a bizarre like <laughs> Pitts, Pittsburgh mafia um, like drug yeah. deal, yeah, like because he's trying because he's trying he's trying to murder a hobo and yeah. it gets interrupted by a a, 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 a coke pest- deal between a, a pimp and a biker gang, yeah, Pennsylvania <laughs> Pennsylvania mafia drug deal gone bad, which is like. <laughs> Wow, you really? And you would have to you would have to get to Siberia to find a more pathetic scene. Yeah, but I it, <laughs> I'm just trying to drink this hobo's blood. Yeah, but the, well, the movie, the pacing of the movie was so intense that it made that scene look really good. Which, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, as far as action scenes go, it was not. Like, yeah, sure. Um, of course, we're all spoiled on John Wick, but um. This this uh, action sick scene from the, had sick from that wick. Yeah, yeah, we are sick from that wick. <laughs> but yeah, this there's, scene there's had no, there's no had gun foo in Martin. Yeah, it had some of Tom Savini's like early work. <laughs> Speaking of which, because I may forget it, because this is the second time uh, Tom Savini has come up. When I I've run into Tom Savini at horror conventions a couple of times, he would not recall this. Um, but the first time I ever went to this one, the horror convention that I used to go to a lot with like the, my, our, you know, our metalhead friends, um, he did a little panel, uh, in a room, a, a sweaty room with like 30 nerds in it where it was just like, yeah. ask Tom Savini stuff. And yeah. I, I got my little hand raising hand held up and I, and I thought I had a really cool question. And my question was, um, was Martin a vampire? That was my question this, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And he goes, "Mm, um, you know, I mean, I guess if he's like 100 years old or whatever, like, I guess he has to be, which is like, way to not answer (laughs) that fucking question, you coward. Yeah. (laughs) I'm officially removing your right to keep that mustache. But um, <laughs> still got that '70s hair, which is impressive. Yeah. But we do love Tom Savini's work on things yeah. like the Creepshow movies. He makes some. He makes some. He makes some fan da- fantastic monster effects. So you, you can't yeah, hear him too much. He he likes to do this thing where someone's shot in the head, and then it's a close up of their eyes, and you don't see the bullet hole, but you just see a long stream of bright pink blood, like pour yeah. down their nose. 
<laughs> yeah, the the Romero productions have this odd relationship to the color of blood, which is like yeah. kind of is is as if the production designer was uh, kind of like a like a stoned fourteen year old girl who was just like this stuff <laughs> looks great, and then you can't yeah. fix it in you can't fix it in color timing or it's too expensive or yada yada yada. So that like in half of Romero's movie, the the blood looks like something that came out of a infant's like butthole at one a.m. Yeah. <laughs> looks it looks like yeah it's just it's just a weird thing if you're not it familiar looks like with old Romero, gogurt yeah yes old, yeah old hot gogurt instead of anything that remotely <laughs> would be considered what blood looks like on film which is like you know there's lots of movies where you can kibitz about the quality of what the blood should look like but yeah Romero really like got it um really got it bad with a couple of his films famously It's almost po- impossible to talk too much about the fucking Pittsburghiness of this goddamn movie. I know. There's that's that's why that's why I thought like this movie is about the decay of Pittsburgh. It's not necessarily about um a, a disturbed teenager who thinks he's a vampire. Like if anything, that's kind of a supplement to all this B footage and secondary character story creations about how people just want to get out people (laughs) want to leave this place or people want to stay in the place to keep it strong which it's Mm. obviously not and like that that goes on that's a strong concept in the movie that's just pittsburgh two and through like it's it's (laughs) so fucking bleak i feel like you could make martin two and yeah. you could film it in in bombed out Eastern Ukraine right now, <laughs> yeah. and it would it would be the exact same level of melancholy and, and if anything a little bit more exciting, <laughs> like yeah. like it, it would be less on on we and more like you know like go 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 get them guys kind of action <laughs> because yeah. the, the 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 mood created. By just the, also the inside of everybody's fucking sad ass seventies house from the like yeah. the, the cheap ass Catholic house that they live in primarily to the bizarre and disorienting mid century modern nightmare where the the elaborate attack with the cheating man and the and the kind of uh, attractive yeah. lady goes down the the there's so there's this set piece attack where. He lets yeah. he gets into this lady's house, and stumbles. I thought that was awesome because that took me that took me by surprise. It's a fantastic <laughs> sequence yeah. where he, Martin succeeds in getting into the house, but he does a classic um, serial killer blunder and doesn't count how many people might be in the house. So when yeah. he gets into the bedroom, the uh, the lady's getting railed by a, a big beefy dude that looks like a union organizer, and <laughs> and who's just banging away on Darla, and the and <laughs> and, and the guy reacts like, uh oh, the jig is up, yeah. and she yeah. says this fantastically terrifying line, which is, I don't know him, and yeah. And, yeah. and Martin, who appears to be like a 17 year old boy with a big fucking syringe in his in his fangs or lack of fangs because for a a guy that's not a vampire he's got some kind of intense incisors and then like martin acts like with a quickness and pulls the syringe stabs the guy on his big like beefy shoulder and then runs off and closes the door behind him locks himself in a bathroom and then there's this um as i referenced originally this like very 
very realistically slow and awkward attempt to solve the problem. Because he's yeah. arguing with her. The the guy is arguing with um, his lover <laughs> that you yeah. got to call somebody. You got to call the cops. I can't call the cops. No, but I'm not supposed to be with you. Her husband's supposed to come back. So she doesn't want to call anybody. It's like, he, yeah. I don't care who you call. He I don't care who finds something. Out. He shot <laughs> me with something. Call somebody, anybody. And, call 911. It's a general emergency. Yeah. And this <laughs> is so, this know. is so early in the 911 system. Kids out there. She didn't understand what 911 did. She thought yeah. that it would only talk to the police, which like, if you're going to call 911, the police are probably going to get involved, but she didn't even understand how 911 worked properly. Yeah. That's how yeah. old this movie is. And and so they're very awkwardly like screaming in the movie and she gets on the phone and Martin displaying his um, techno savvy, which we always associate with vampirism, starts like <laughs> bop booping onto the dial pad, and you have these really great mid twentieth century kind of AT and T like like yeah. sound effects going with it that feel honestly some phones did sound like that back then, but it yeah. it feels so fakey and over the top, but also it goes really <laughs> well with the tone of the movie. So I don't know, it's just and yeah and. <laughs> and then, it, so his, I forget, he he doesn't end up killing her. He kills the guy, right? I believe yeah. the guy dies. He's, he says, he tells her specifically, too, like, I don't have to hurt you now because he's here. Yeah, but we and, also know that Martin is fucking lying <laughs> about the yeah. shit that he's telling women that yeah. he's going to, whose blood he's going to drink. He, yeah, that's true. He, which is a very real Another real, very serial killer thing is to yeah. d- disarm people not only with ropes and and um, you know syringes full of date rape drugs, but also to disarm them with a story about how they're going to be okay. And that yeah. is a thing that people constantly did. If you just listen, if you just don't fight, if you don't scream, you'll be fine. You know what I yeah. mean? I might do this or that to you, but you won't yeah. die. And that works on people. That's why people do it. And a lot of the times they're lying, always scream, always fight, always go 110%. Just fight everybody yeah. all the time. Do not let yourself yeah. get injected. Yeah. Do not be taken to a second location. <laughs> scream, fight, punch, rip, Even grab, if steal. it's the paramedic, you just kick that fucker in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. This show does not recommend kicking paramedics for a yeah, yeah, in yeah. A, on record for a number of obvious number joke. Of reasons. That was an obvious joke. Ob- that was an obvious joke. Do not kick your paramedics. Send more cops. <laughs> so that that battle is, I would I would call it kind of the the uh, mirror image of the weird awkward like biker drug deal scene in the sense yeah. that it's it goes chaotic, but. Martin basically keeps control and yeah. he still ends up mostly getting what he wants out of the scene in terms of his quasi sexual fan, you know, satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and then the movie kind of, it, the movie kind of descends into another direction after that. And I'm wondering, it's kind of a, it's kind of a montage. I think the last eight minutes kind of covers like six months or a year. Uh, in, that's an interesting point. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. I have not watched them, but there are some very alternate versions of this film. First of all, um, Romero had a deal 
with Fulci and the gang over there in Italia that had to do with, that included the distribution of this, that like yeah. Fulci would get to cut it up into like an Italy friendly version. And I really <laughs> need to see that because whole scenes are en- edited in completely different order and that there's like a goblin st- like soundtrack that is a totally different <laughs> mood. The coloring is different. So I really need to see the Italian version and yeah. There's a Blu-ray version that I hear is essentially what is like an answer print, which is, without getting everybody bored, is like a print that you make in an early part of the edit that would be an incomplete version, but Romero's original vision had been for it to, the entire movie to be black and white and for it to be yeah. longer, but there's no way he actually meant it to be this long, but this answer print is like two hours and 45 minutes or something. Regardless of if that is agonizingly boring to watch, which it almost certainly is, it would certainly certainly fill in a lot of information for those of us who were like, what is up with Martin? So yeah. in the future, I may do some kind of update when I watch um, either or both of those um, uh, sad, sad fucking movies. But if anything, the Italian mer- <laughs> version might be just like real jazzy and sexy compared to this one, for all I know. Um, <laughs> if you could if you could make that if you could make that possible, given the ingredients at hand. As far as like his flashbacks go, because he has flashbacks to like the 20s. Yeah, and yeah, he 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 has, he certainly has musings. He has yeah. like oh, this movie inhabits a couple of different spaces of it, it both brief fantasies that appear in black and white and where yeah. everybody is depicted as super attractive with flowy gauzy, gauzy clothes yeah. and Yeah, clothes, that's, and, that's and, what I and the women around him are kind of like warmly welcoming welcoming them into his embrace. Yeah, that's that's like if that's if that's part of like his delusion or like a schizophrenic perception than like the flashbacks are too. Yeah, because the flash the flashbacks are different. Like because it's a generalized thing. It's it's like a mob with like pitchforks and torches. And it's a lot of cliche things that you could just gather together and think like, well, that happened to me because I'm a vampire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's certainly not depicted in a way that you want to make it seem po- like plausible that it happened exactly like that. You know, they yeah. didn't go to a real Bavarian castle or some shit and, you yeah. know, put him in period appropriate clothing, you know, yeah. like, it, like it, it kind just, of it pretty much around pe- with a bunch of wolves and bats and stuff. Yeah. It pretty much just painted the picture of like, I'm afraid of getting caught and chased by a pitchfork mob. I'm afraid of exorcisms. <laughs> yeah. And I'm afraid of people thinking I'm a vampire. And then it's generalized with all these like images from the twenties of like, Villagers yeah. with with pitchforks and torches, like like old Ford cars chasing <laughs> after him, and like <laughs> yeah, it's if anything you could kind of imagine that because if you if you extrapolate the the facts about this movie, then Kuda and and the rest of his um, like Catholic Orthodoxy, you know, like old school family have been yeah. hassling this kid on some level yeah. about being like a demon his whole yeah. life. So if anything, you could you could kind of say that the the p- pitchfork and torches quote unquote flashbacks are kind of yeah. 
his distilled concept of, of just his generalized persecution anxiety, because yeah. they, they certainly are not depicted in a way that gives you an impression that this has like a, a grounded reality to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, whereas the, the really real world, so to speak of sad, <laughs> sad ass Pennsylvania, that feels absolutely a hundred percent real where, yeah. where neither the fantasies nor the flashbacks seem tethered to reality in nearly as um, powerful uh, a steel bolt, if that if that plays. Yeah. Martin embodies a, a strange creature that is the modern vampire, uh, although yeah. a totally mundane nightmare, it may seem that is nevertheless monstrous if you assume that, if you take on that, that he is not some kind of bizarre biological beast but instead just a just just a teenage boy when when we think yeah. of vampires of gothic horror looming in their great stone castles in remote mountain ranges they couldn't be farther from this awkward socially incompetent teenager who is comfortable using the phone to call talk shows uh, syringes to inject his victims with date rape drugs and buy garage door openers to get access to some of his victims later later on when he's ready to go stalking um the character of uncle kuda obviously has a a very heavy-handed sim- symbolism where Kuda yeah. represents a lot of the things that are actually Dracula-y. He represents the old world. He represents gothic horror. He represents magical thinking, Catholicism, and the idea that there are um, truly um, magical elements of the rea- of reality that we can't see and that we should listen to them to solve our problems and that demons and monsters are real. <laughs> Uh, which yeah. this movie constantly pokes its uh, awkward teenage finger at in in myriad co- you know c- comedic ways, uh, yeah. and I, I want to put a double triple extra spoilers warning here because um, if you're already listening to this episode and you haven't watched the movie, the end is kind of abrupt and surprising. <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe yeah, even stop now. Because what happens is um, he is uh, Martin comes home and is it the Christina the Jennifer Grey girlfriend character that he discovers or is it the depressed woman I can't remember it's, it's Mrs Santini, it's Mrs. Santini the, the woman so, who who you took him in and he got sexy stuff yeah with. so he has yeah. this um, bizarrely um, pleasant. Um, taking of his virginity relationship with this woman that is that is very strangely generous in her uh, uh, association with him, and yeah. then he stumbles upon her in the bath, having um, slit her wrists with the same kind of razors that he uses in his blood yeah. drinking crimes, and then he yeah. is stumbled upon by Kuda. And Kuda takes a fucking wooden stake and just whammo blammos him in one, um, you know, yeah. st- uh, straight straight up um, Doctor Van Helsing's him, which is yeah. which is such a mood. And then <laughs> cut to cut to black movie <laughs> fucking over, uh, and yeah. and so you're left in a you know, I I can't imagine 
I honestly can't imagine that many other ways to end the movie. <laughs> honestly, when you think about how abrupt yeah. and a rug pulling the, the end is, yeah, um, it creates a lot of questions, and it does like <laughs> end on something where you're like, "Well, shit, that was something." And I, I think movies are generally better when they end on something as opposed to like, huh, you know, kind of like Seinfeldian pull away slowly is is just like that I end on something. And this movie really did end yeah. on something. Um but it's it's absolutely fascinating because you have this dovetailing of if we take the assumption for the moment that, for the sake of argument, he is just a regular kid. He's not some kind of vampire yeah. in a way that is noteworthy. Um, but he is a serial murderer. <laughs> then Kuda's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the dovetailing come in that Kuda's paranoia about the religious... The religious possibility that he is Nasferatu and a terrible abomination touch just just into reality at the point where he is a terrible monster that needs to be destroyed. (laughs) Yeah, and and those two things meet in kind of like a, a fork in the road where the result is correct based off of completely idiotic and and. And foolish caveman style thinking, which is such a, uh, such an, such a Baroque way to get to the right point that it is, it's very (laughs) Romero-ish where Romero's really does a thing that I constantly reference, which is a a smart movie disguised as a dumb movie where you don't watch this movie going in my opinion, when you're first watched, you're going, this is fucking genius. I mean, maybe if you're yeah. already like a cult movie person and you're coming to this movie later on, you're like, this movie is fucking amazing. But at an early yeah. watch, this movie's very dismissible. It's 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 awkward. It's slow. The subject matter is fucking yeah. confusing. A lot of the acting is mediocre-ish. Because, you know, it's yeah. an early well, I th- movie. I thought I was going to dismiss it. I really did. I thought I was going to be like, well, this is going to kind of be like Dawn of the Dead, where I already get it, and here we go for another hour, like, uh, me already getting the point, and it's being driven. But that's not what it was like. Yeah. It was genuinely interesting every minute that I watched it, but I'm I'm weird, and I was watching it when I was happy, and like... <laughs> The other thing, though, like the the ideal ending for if he was just a teenager was incarceration and therapy <laughs> and not necessarily murder. Like the ideal ending if he was a vampire was to be killed by the family vampire slayer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well. <laughs> so if you want this to be like if you want this movie to have the ideal like hero's journey, then it's for Kuda. And it is like he is a vampire. Yeah, you know, you could imagine, you could imagine a little bit of a of like a like a do a whoopsie doodle or you know call an audible where Kuda comes in to kill him. He almost he yeah. almost does it, but somebody from the you know Tom Savini shows up just in time and pulls him off, and Martin barely survives. Yeah. And then you kind of have like a Eugene Toomes where he's like stewing is stewing yeah. in his rubber room. You know, eating moths in preparation for the the next horny divorcee <laughs> who might take him under his yeah. awkward, her awkward ass wing. <laughs> but um, 
you know, that would have been gonna... that would have been that would have been a, a very different something. I I, I don't I, I yeah. you know, if, if there's one thing we know about George Romero, he doesn't fuck around with the ending of his movies. He he you no. know, he's gonna blow everything up so that you remember that the movie fucking ended. You know, um, yeah, yeah. You, know, you you sh- you shoot Ben and then have a pyre of of zombies. Um, you know that are being <laughs> burned by the by the always beneficial rednecks of southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, or you fucking <laughs> stab your your vampire your vampire nephew in the heart so that he um, triple dog dies, and, and it's yeah, it, it's something. It's not nothing. Um, well. <laughs> I would say that, like, do not answer if he was a vampire or not, because then you yeah, get two movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the, and that's the, that's the, that's the thing that I, <laughs> I referenced earlier when perhaps the greatest, in perhaps the greatest non-character character, you know, or the the most powerful element in Romero movies is not the weirdly colored blood or the um, the interesting. Um, transition of genres from horror into sci-fi but uh, or, or even like some of the really good writing or some of the very excellent directing but that doubt is doubt in every case yeah. when it is employed effectively gives you so much movie beyond the edges of the frame where you're asking questions the whole time you you genuinely don't know what the yeah. next scene is going to be. You don't know how the movie is going to resolve, and you don't uh, you believe in the mechanism of the characters and the reality, but you also believe that you don't know everything. And the power of that doubt is very compelling. Yeah, and yeah, this is how you do that, and not with um, polar bears and smoke monsters. Yeah, nobody would try to combine those things. <laughs> that would be that would be <laughs> stupid. Um, well, now that <laughs> that's out of the way, it'd be terrible to just not write anything and call it a mystery. Well, and you could have a whole season and a half of a couple of you know characters just strapped to tiger cages, arguing about their in- interpersonal problems that people would completely ignore oh, for God. the fact, even though the fact that it was obviously a lazy stretching of the franchise for total yeah. profit reasons, but throw in, throw in some pirates, throw in some fucking pirates. <laughs> um, Gavin now comes to the point of the show where I have to ask you is Martin from Martin, the awkward vampire bitchin van art. Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it bitchin' van art? Not really. <laughs> no, they I make mean, some good posters Halloween, for this movie, but it's not really bitchin'. Yeah, Halloween Dracula depictions belong kind of somewhere on a bitchin' van art collage, but not Martin specifically. Yeah, I, I've owned a, like a mini poster for Martin for a long time, and I like it, but it's not the most bitchin' thing. I mean, no. they they do make some good one sheets of you know him kind of looking craven with a with a with blood dripping down of his face or a, a hypodermic needle in yeah. his hand. But you really got to pile the pile the exploitation ingredients on there, and even then you're kind of like, what's going what's going on here? Is he a is he a is he a <laughs> coked up med student? What's going on? Um, yeah. <laughs> so as much as I do love my Martin poster, I'm gonna say it's not really bitchin' yeah. van, bitchin van art because he's uh, he's not nope. he's not a sexy monster. He's not a badass looking monster. 
And the the film just doesn't yeah. live in that space. So we're gonna give it a soft no. Yeah. The the entirety of the action shootout of the movie was um I'm not gonna say poorly done, but not uh not Michael Bay explosive. <laughs> yeah. Well I will I will say in having explored Romero's movie more his more of his movies more thoroughly, thanks to the show, that his strength doesn't lie in it it lies in intense action, but also Yes. In, uh, yes, it does. Action that is intense because it is slow and plodding. Like, that things yeah. play out at a speed that is realistic to actual life. And that is a hard thing to... It's a hard thing to achieve successfully, and it's a hard thing to maintain. Um, and it's a hard thing to paint on the side of a yes. Um Which was my point, like, whereas a, an explosion is awesome to paint. Exactly. Well, we seem to, now that we've got that one. It is a good movie. It's a damn good movie. It's a a very weird, very good movie. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah. Um, Yeah, if if you're thinking like, like, if you thought that I thought like, oh no, this is going to be just like Dawn of the Dead, where I get it, and then I'm going to have to trudge through another hour of like, just some stuff. It's not. It's not like that. <laughs> people love Dawn of the Dead, by the way. I know people love Dawn of the Dead. I just kind of, I don't know. I also I'm find weird. Dawn of the Dead to be um, agonizingly <laughs> slow and boring in the middle. So I, I'm also an odd yeah. detractor. I like it, but I'm like, well, after I see it once, what, I'm like, okay, I get it. Ken Forey's got I, a huge I head. didn't know I, what. Okay, got it. Yeah, I didn't know what year Dawn of the Dead was made, so I typed in the old Dawn of the Dead, and the fucking 2004 <laughs> version came up. <laughs> the, oh no! <laughs> it's okay. We're still we're still all down with the sickness. Um, yeah. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until next time, when we deliver you another batch of beasts. Bullywugs and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. And if you'd be so kind as to tell a friend or support us by throwing Oops All Monsters a five-star review on iTunes or the maximum review on whatever format that you heard us on, that helps. Uh, Look for Gavin Longshanks, that's me, on YouTube and Twitch anytime. And I'm on there. Uh, Share an episode on your favorite social media and comment on the Instagram at oops all monsters if you would and if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund hit us up with a one shot contribution at paypal.me slash oops all monsters or if you're feeling uh, really generous sign up at patreon.com slash oops all monsters to support us monthly that would be amazing lastly I have to thank my wonderful friend Katie for our incredible theme song her work as part of the duo the darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at the Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And I have been Martin. Dun, 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 dun. Martin. So close to the end. So close. Gavin. So close to the end without it. Shanene, you're so crazy. <laughs> and we have been drinking Oops. blood of All women drinking in the normal, in the normal, in the normal way. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the way the normal way yeah. is. All right. Da 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 da.
things in the burger? Stop. 